0: This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special podcast series entitled Corporate Case Management in the Era of the DOJ's Monica Memo, sponsored by iSight Software Solutions. Over this five-part podcast series, I will be visiting with Jacob Fickner, Director of Partnership Development at iSight. In this series, we consider how the Monaco Doctrine and the Monaco Memo have impacted compliance in several key areas around investigations. In part one, we take up the Speak Up Culture, part two, strategic triage. In part three, ethical investigations. In part four, the Fair Process Doctrine. And in part five, how data drives prevention. Over this series, we will not only detail the changes brought by the Monaco Memo, but how compliance professionals can respond to these new challenges. First, a word about iSight. Uncover, investigate, and prevent incidents and misconduct. iSight is a powerful case management platform that streamlines your investigative processes so you can focus on prevention. Recording incidents, responding consistently, and collecting data means messy spreadsheets information over multiple systems, and wasted time. Mishandling even one incident risks fines, lawsuits, and reputational damage. Reach out to iSight.com for a demonstration to learn how you can streamline your investigations and starting investing in prevention. In this episode three, we take up ethical investigations. This special five-part series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Jacob Fickner, the Director of Partnership Development at iSight for part three of our five-part exploration. Today, we're going to take up investigations and try to show how to do this ethically for all parties and minimize errors. Jacob, first of all, welcome back. Pleasure to be back, Tom. Jacob, I guess one of the things that surprised me as much as anything when Lisa Monaco gave her speech a year ago, and now we've had the Monaco Doctrine and Monaco Memo, was something that I thought was as basic to every compliance program as there is even more important in 2022, and that's investigations. The focus on investigations, the need to do investigations quickly, efficiently, in a cost effective manner, and correctly are even more important. And I didn't, they could be any more important, but it turns out they are. And so I really wanted to explore in this podcast, some of the things that you're seeing, some of the questions you're getting, and more importantly, what are some of the tools that iSight has that can really help this new focus on investigations? And the initial focus from the Department of Justice has been on the speed of your investigations and the quality. The quality comes from identifying those who may be culpable, who may have participated or have may have engaged in oversight of a, a legal violation. The speed is the Department of Justice wants it yesterday. Don't come to me today with what you're going to do tomorrow. Tell me about yesterday and why don't I have it now? A sort of attitude. My father always talked about the military like that. And so I really wanted to get your thoughts on Are you seeing maybe even puts more pressure on investigations and more importantly, the investigators? So with that open-ended question, what are you seeing?
1: I think ultimately with the increased focus and more importantly, corresponding with an increased investment into encouraging a speak-up culture, multiple channels to submit complaints and being able to then actively disposition or work through those cases, the caseload per average investigator has increased, which is putting strain on them. So ultimately what we're focusing on is how can we make the lives of investigators easier, reduce the administrative burden placed on these investigators so that they can shift their time from manual repetitive tasks, filling in forms or paperwork, and focus it more on the value-add tasks of conducting the investigations. So everything from when a case is reported, it hits the investigation stage, what are the steps we wanna follow for this type of case, within what timeframes? Those tasks can automatically be created based on the nature of the case and a number of other parameters to uniquely determine, This these are the steps I need to complete within what timeframes, having the reminders already factored in, so that I don't have to go in and manually create my action plan, as most likely there's a, already a process that dictates what those steps should be. Other tasks of I need to go out and search through multiple different w- ways and avenues to see is there any precedence, any other information I should be made aware of, any other involved parties that might be related to this case. Those are things that we're automating for our clients. So suggested case lookup is a great way as soon as it lands on the investigator's desk to be able to see all the relevant data that might be associated to the matter that they're looking at instead of having to go out there and search for it. Lastly, it is reducing that administrative burden placed on users. So thinking of the notifications, the correspondence they need to send out, and the letters, memos, and reports that they need to create, all that can be automated within the system. So I can consistently click a button and generate my report, my status report, my interview summary report, my final investigative report, all the way to a referral or discovery packet. And then I could securely share those files from within the application. If we look at automation, that's where a key driver for implementing an advanced case management system like iSight stems from, and ultimately where we see the biggest savings in terms of investigators time is reduce that administrative burden. Let's take it out of their hands. Let's automate it. I'm adding consistency into my process and I'm enabling them to focus their time on better activities.
0: Jacob, I have a friend who talks about friction and it seems like you just described reducing the friction of an investigator. If you recall in episode one, we talked a little bit about speak up culture. I'd like to bring that discussion forward now and ask, why is it so important, in your opinion, in the investigative process itself to keep a person who spoke up, to keep a reporter, to keep someone who went to the hotline, to keep them informed to the extent possible uh, to help? Just why is that so important, in your opinion? It's
1: one, giving them engagement in the process, making them feel that they, their concern has been heard and it's actively being reviewed. Because ultimately what we've seen is that if you silo the information, you cut off the reporter completely from any update, things tend to escalate in terms of their stress level. They start complaining internally more, potentially looking at external complaint avenues where if you have a process that reduces the friction for both your investigators and the complainant, it's less likely that the entire matter will escalate to additional steps. And ultimately, our goal is to resolve these issues as quickly and as efficiently as possible.
0: Let me add one other concept that's more a little more legal theory, but it's something that's near and dear to my heart, and I'll explain why in a minute. And that's the fair process doctrine. The fair process doctrine says if your process is fair, people will more tend to accept an outcome they didn't want. So that and that process that doctrine came out of the world of labor arbitration which my father did for many years. And that process was that a union and management who had a dispute would go to an impartial umpire who would make the decision. And that because that umpire was deemed to be impartial, both sides would accept that decision more readily than if it was something else. And I find that to be a highly persuasive argument of why you should keep reporters informed. And you really hit on something else that doesn't get said enough, which is, If they become frustrated, that's when they start to look for outside avenues to report, i.e. regulators, i.e. the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, other avenues that a company does not typically see in its best interest. Under the SEC reporting requirements, there's a 120-day limit from date of report to company finishing their report and deciding whether to self-disclose or not. In the corporate world, 120 days is about that long, from my experience. And so the need for speed in this process is incredibly important, but it's also important because of what you raised with the reporter, with the complainant, to keep them invested in the process. And if you can keep them invested in that process, and that process is fair, they're more likely to accept a result that they may have not wanted or or even disagreed with. Now, let me wrap that up in one more thing. In June of 2020, the U S department of justice in their update to the evaluation of corporate compliance program said that the CCO is the head of justice and fairness in a company. And it, it, from my perspective, that justice and fairness is also wrapped up in this process so that it's one more way a company can point to its overall corporate culture to show we're incorporating the concepts you have said are important, which is justice and fairness. My articulation of the fair process doctrine, does that kind of square with what you're actually seeing out in the real world? That's exactly it.
1: Ultimately, when we look at a lot of challenges that clients articulate when they first start working with us, one of them is consistency transparency and an open process so when we look at consistency it's we have a process in place we're going through the steps and are we consistent consistently applying either our outcomes or disciplinary actions and that all starts from the assessment process and that's where we have a consistent assessment process to be able to triage cases when they come in being able to factor in things like Do we have the right team, or what team should work on it? Is there any conflict identified with that team? An example, like if I'm a named party within the case, I probably shouldn't be part of that team. Those are things that can be automated within an application like iSight, where I'm automatically added to the denied list. If there's any conflicts, you can add those individuals to the denied list. If it's particular nature, like we have an allegation against a senior executive, we might not have the skill set in place to be able to track that investigation impartially. and Those are things that during the assessment process can be factored in so that if I need to loop in external counsel, I can do it early on in the process and it's all audited and documented. We reviewed the nature of the assessment, here's what we need to do, here's what we followed, and it's all part of the audit trail within the case. And The same process applies to the investigative process when we look at the steps, what steps do we take? How long should they take? And ensure that they don't fall between the cracks. Let's send out those ticklers, those reminders that this task is become uh, is about to become overdue. Because the worst thing is we said we would follow up within two weeks, week three, week four, and that stakeholder sitting there is, am I ever gonna get an update? Did I just submit a complaint and they didn't do anything with it? And that's again, where the likelihood of them looking at other avenues
0: Jacob, you had an insight that, frankly, I thought, that's really not an insight. Everybody knows that. The more I thought about it, I thought, we never talk about that, which is, have your decision makers ready. And the reason I think we don't talk about it, or it's not talked about enough, is that typically in a business, executives have lots of things going on amazingly enough, legal and compliance is not always on their top of mind. And so I really want to explore that about how the Eyesight tool and system really helps keep the decision makers who may be outside the legal department, outside the compliance department, have but have investment in the final decision, have them ready to make that decision, giving them the information they need to read or review or assess, but having them ready to do something that may not be part of their day job, or at least not the business part of their day job.
1: Funny enough, it's something that we encountered over 10 years ago, and it was a legal department from a large multinational telling us that one of their challenges is when a sexual harassment or discrimination case is reported, they're not looped in until way too late in their opinion. And they say, I get a report, I have to review it. They give me this timeline and I had no idea that this was coming down the pipe until I hit my desk and with an unreasonable expectation in terms of the turnaround. And those are things that again, a strong assessment process, you can cut down that type of friction with your internal stakeholder groups, where based on the nature of the case, there's a high likelihood of this proceeding to these stakeholders, albeit the CCO, legal or other, and you can proactively trigger automated notifications to let them know that this case was reported Our process expectation is within 60 days, the investigation will be complete and ready for your review and approval. You can keep the automated notifications going out as you transition through the various steps of your investigation. And then when it hits the review and approval stage, it's not a surprise. And second, it's all packaged neatly for them to just take that automated email that they receive, click it, have all the information structured in an easy-to-consume fashion so that they can make the right determination based on the information that the organization has.
0: Jacob, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time at this for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode where we take up some of the issues relating to outcomes and how that can impact your overall culture. Before we leave, Jacob, I was wondering if our listeners wanted any additional information on some of the topics we've touched on today. Where would be the best place for them to go?
1: For sure. I encourage everyone to visit our website at iSight.com and navigate to our resource center where you'll find a wealth of useful information for compliance and internal
0: investigators. Jacob, I greatly look forward to continuing this conversation. Same here, Tom. I hope you will join us tomorrow in Episode 4, where we take up the Fair Process Doctrine. As Jacob mentioned in the podcast, we have linked to the iSight website on the show notes, but it's www.i-sight.com. So check them out if you'd like any more information on any of the topics we've touched upon in this podcast. This podcast series has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.